Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie Perry. Welcome to Millennium Live. I am so excited to be joined with Justin Fear, who is the director of Cyber Intel and Analytics at Darktrace. This is not only my first interview with Justin, but it's my second. So welcome back, Justin. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. So we've officially entered a new year, but many events in 2020 are far from resolved and we are still clearly battling this pandemic and businesses are continuing to be disjointed and have employees constantly working remotely. We're examples of that. And not to mention there were many never before seen cyber attacks that really made headlines in 2020. So it's definitely a historic time for cyber. Have you ever seen anything like this in your decades-long career? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think you know that's one of the joys of working in the cyber industry. Uh, you know, we get smarter, and so do the attackers. You know, so it really is a cat and mouse game. Right now is different times, obviously because of the pandemic, politics. You know, a lot of different things. You know, uh, all happening at once. Uh, that I think are not helping the situation by any means. But um, would I say I've never seen it this crazy? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I will say uh, it's a different time. So media is different. Uh, I think things get reported more than they had in the past. And that's partly due to we now are required to report breaches. You know, there weren't regulations in the past that even said we had to talk about these sort of things. So I think these things were happening. You just didn't hear about them quite as much as you do now. So I'd really like to discuss some of the specific attacks we saw throughout 2020. How can we face these unresolved challenges in this new year of 2021? And how can we prepare for the future of cyber attacks? Yeah, so I think, you know, everybody knows the medical industry, the healthcare industry was targeted quite a bit, which really is so sad if you think about it. I mean, they were already stretched thin from a staffing standpoint. You know, we read stories of overfilled ICU beds, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, it seems ludicrous to me to think that you're going to target the very thing that you might end up in if you get sick. And so I, I can't really understand or grasp that, but uh, it is what it is. And the healthcare industry was hit probably harder than most. Um, I think it's obvious why, you know, they didn't have the time to necessarily just rely on backups or sit down with the board and decide what is our next course of action. You know, uh, for them, it wasn't just lost revenues, but it was actually lives that potentially could be lost. And so they had to make very quick split second decisions. Do we take the risk and pay that ransomware and may not even get our, our machines back um, or do we not? And I think that's why you saw a lot of hospitals being targeted because they did pay that ransom to get up and running as quick as possible. As far as reflecting back on 2020, I think the one that still resonates with me that just bothers me is the attack in Germany that was the first loss of life, which is so sad to report, but I constantly bring it up in these you know, forums so that people realize that 
We've moved on from the cyber world into the real world kinetic world where people are actually dying as a result of this. And in that particular case, a woman, uh, you know, was redirected to another hospital in a time of an emergency. And because that hospital was under attack and didn't have its systems up and running, uh, she unfortunately perished as a result of that. And I just cannot understand why uh, an attacker would, would feel okay with that. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So I want to talk a little bit about working from home. And first off, what are the cyber risks involved with working from home, considering that this jointed, disjointed workforce and there's really strained IT teams working from home? I don't even know where to start. I mean, so first I'll make a very bold statement. Uh, the perimeter is dead as we know it. You know, like we've been talking about this for years. Where is the perimeter? It keeps moving further and further out. Well, there is no such thing as a perimeter anymore. I am sitting in my home office surrounded by IoT devices for my smart home and all sorts of things. And we, we know that IoT devices are inher inherently insecure. And on top of that, I'm sharing a Wi-Fi connection with my wife and my neighbor's kid is potentially hacking into me. There are so many things. But I think the thing to remember is it's really just increased our footprint, our vulnerability footprint. You know, we're accepting more risk. And that's just talking about the physical environment we work on. Digital transformation, which has been a buzzword we're all familiar with over the last oh, two yeah. years, was literally, you know, turned upside down. You know, teams were told to take digital transformation projects that were slated to with 12 or 14 month timelines and make them work overnight. And a couple of things come to mind. Usually when you speed up processes like that, error happens. You tend to overlook security. And number two is just the workforce. They're now using technologies they weren't using as recent as a year ago. You know, so you have employees that might not have known what a VPN was or might not have known the risks of using SaaS and cloud technologies. So our networks got so much more complex and so much diversified in a short period of time that I think that's probably the biggest risk. And that's what we're seeing from the dark trace perspective as well. I'm sure. So I want to kind of jump back to what you were saying about the healthcare industry and how sad it is that there were so many cyber attacks throughout the entire year of the pandemic and still continuing. So why do you think the healthcare industry really continues to be a target for attacks? Well, I think the first is, as we already mentioned, you know, they are the most likely to pay, but we've already started to see a pivot there. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy to report, but I believe Wall Street Journal just put out an article like two days ago saying that attacks are still on the rise for the healthcare industry. So it's not even like we've seen a decline, um, but uh, there's a whole new attack vector and that's the vaccine supply chain. You know, it's not just the hospitals now, now it's these makeshift vaccine centers. It might even be the brick and mortar pharmacies that are gonna be administering them. And then let's not forget about the entire logistics uh, cold supply chain of getting the vaccines from point A, B, C, and D into the arms of folks. And then I won't even mention, you know, the logistical aspect of just getting up a database or a, uh, a tracking system to schedule everybody. So, uh, you know, the healthcare system is just more imperative now than it even was 12 months ago. And sadly, the attackers know that. Now, one thing that a lot of folks are not thinking of that, you know, came to mind is we started to see an increase in uh, school systems being hit. 
And I think it's the same thing. You don't really think about it or you didn't think about it a year ago, but school systems now, because they're all remote learning based, are almost up there with national critical infrastructure. If you take a school system down, you've got thousands and thousands of kids now out of school and parents stuck at home with those kids that can't do their job. So I do think you're probably going to see an increase in attacks against state and local governments, specifically the education sector, because they too, uh, you know, are going to have that very tough debate. Do we pay the ransom to make sure our kids are still on track to graduate, to make sure our parents are still able to do their jobs, uh, and ultimately just to make sure that we have that uptime and secure environment for them to operate in? Right. So you mentioned these targeted attacks on school systems. Do you have a specific example of an attack on a school system? I, I couldn't give you any of dark traces, but if you look in the open source, you know, a nice Google search will give you a couple that happened just in recent months. But of course, you know, we don't even have to focus just on school systems. If you look at state and local governments, you know, Baltimore, Atlanta, you know, some of the more sensationalized ones. Um, if you just look at the ramifications of that, I mean, we rely on our state and local government for just everyday things that you take for granted. And so, you know, targeting them and targeting the schools is really a no-brainer for these guys. It's in that same category of hospital that it's not necessarily revenue they're concerned about. It's business operations they're concerned about. And that is ultimately why they have to make that tough decision. Now, uh, to throw a curveball at you, I certainly hope the new administration right now, not to get into politics, but I hope that the new administration starts talking about, you know, policy-wise, you know, should companies be paying or should they not be? You know, I mean, because we pay the ransom, it emboldens the attackers to continue on down this route. If we stop paying, it's kind of similar to the argument of we don't negotiate with terrorists, you know? So I do think we're going to start to see more discussions being had, uh, you know, at the federal level on how to handle this. Yeah. Well, that would be nice, especially dealing with the vaccine and all these different ways of bringing it out through supply chains and whatnot, but I guess kind of shuffling over, you know, this conversation would not be complete about cyber attacks in 2020 without talking about supply chain attacks. So <laughs> what really is a supply chain attack? Let's start with that. But sure. why has it become such a buzzword? Well, so, so first and foremost, uh, I will just going to debunk a myth for all of the listeners. Supply chain attacks are not new. They've been around for years. Uh, you know, anybody who's worked in the intelligence community like I have or in law enforcement knows uh, they come in many de different shapes and forms. As I mentioned earlier on, we hear about attacks a little bit more because the media world is very different. You know, I, I get my media alerts immediately on this thing and we're constantly looking at the news. And so I think past supply chain attacks, we just didn't hear about as much, but let's just define a supply chain attack first and foremost. It can come in different forms. It could be me inserting a chip into a, an actual device. So, you know, putting something in that laptop that doesn't belong there, that's gonna do something for me. And I can do that at mass. Maybe I've uh, compromised a third party vendor, you know, so I've compromised the person that makes that widget that goes in that car and I've compromised just that little piece. 
that's a great example of a supply chain op. Uh, now, the recent one that you're probably referring to, you know, that we all know, uh, you know, of uh, as of recent, is more of a software-based supply chain. You know, so they allegedly got in the middle of the dev process, put that little widget in there to do something for them, and this is what makes supply chain operations uh, so scary. Uh, because if you think about it, at the end of the day, the end users, for all intents and purposes thought that they were getting a completely valid piece of software. Uh, they, they was business as usual for everybody. And it wasn't until much later on when we started to see some of the unusual things happening as a result of it, that stuff started to bubble up and it turned into a much larger campaign. Do I think you'll start to see more of these? Absolutely. Uh, do I have any evidence about that? None whatsoever. Um, I am just going by, you know, typically attackers look at what's successful and they replicate that. Sadly, the most recent, you know, supply chain attack, we're still uncovering new things almost, it seems like on a daily basis. I'm sending notes off to our PR team like every night about a new little nugget that drops. So um, I think stay tuned. I think we've only just seen the very beginning of this campaign, um, but we probably will see others, uh, both nation state sponsored and even privately uh, criminal organization sponsored. So do you have any steps that organizations can take to protect themselves against these supply chain attacks? Yeah, well, I mean, it's this is going to be an obvious coming from a dark trace employee, but I think anomaly detection is the perfect tool for this. If you go back, you know, 30 seconds to what I just said, we put something or we installed something in our network that we thought was legit. You know, we didn't think it was malware. It came from the vendor. It was signed and certified by them. Um, but without something that can do anomaly detection, I wouldn't spot that subtle thing that just doesn't belong. And so, you know, I truly think uh, anomaly detection needs to become a standard part of everybody's security stack. Um, up until now, it was really a nice to have and, and more of the mature customers would, would start adopting the technology, but anomaly detection, I really think is just a must have, especially since our networks are as complex as I already mentioned. You know, No human has the ability to spot the abnormalities across your network, your email, your SaaS, your cloud, your OT. There's just too many connected pieces. And then of course, the last thing would be Artificial intelligence. I mean, this is what it was designed for. Uh, you know, this is the perfect scenario for it. You know, using AI to spot those really difficult uh, to find things within the network. Remember, at the end of the day, every attacker's goal is to get in and get out without ever being detected. And they're using AI on their side as well. And so we need to start thinking about adopting new technologies. Um, another bold statement I'll make is legacy security is truly dead. You know, if you're doing things the way you were doing it five years ago, please hit me up on LinkedIn. Let's have a little chat because it's just not going to work in the near future or even current day. So I'm curious, you know, what happens when we are faced with the next unpredictable disaster or cyber attack, you know, how can we really prepare for it or what can we expect? I'm not even sure you have an answer for that. Well, I don't. I'll be totally transparent. I don't. If I did, I wouldn't probably be sitting here and I'd be on my boat someplace. But the good news is, I think if you look at what the new administration's doing, you know, there is heavy investment in cybersecurity, both on the federal side and the private sector side. That is a good thing. That is a step in the right direction. Does it mean we will catch that next stealthy thing immediately when it happens? We don't know because we don't know what it's going to look like. 
But the mere fact that we're having the discussion is a good thing. The fact that there are senators that didn't know what a supply chain attack was as recent as two or three weeks ago are having hearings about it, that is a good thing. Um, and the fact that they're moving quickly, which does not typically happen in the federal government, is a good thing. So I do think all of the pieces are in place and we are definitely making strides in the right direction uh, to prepare for that. I will just say this, I think this was the wake up call that our industry needed uh, and the US government needed and other governments around the world that this is the new domain for war. Uh, it is not bullets anymore. It's ones and zeros and it's bites flying by our heads. And it just goes to show you how effective these things can be without actually storming the beaches and putting, you know, actual lives uh, on the line. Right. So you have made a lot of bold statements. So <laughs> and based on this conversation and what you're seeing in the industry, do you have any others to add for what you might think you're, we're going to see in 2021? Yeah, email. I, and that should come as no surprise for anybody. I, I mean, email is the most porous point of our network. It always has been, and it has to be to function the way it should. Just to top on top of that, you know, I don't know about you, but I've got five different email accounts. And I mentioned before, my two-year-old's running around the house and my wife's taking a call on the other line. And our lives are a lot more chaotic than they were 12 months ago. And unfortunately, because of that, we don't take that extra second to think to ourselves, you know, did that email coming from Katie really sound like it was coming from Katie? Cause you know, we don't talk like that with each other or I wasn't expecting that attachment from her. Those simple questions that we should be asking ourselves, we don't have the time to do it. And again, I'm gonna sound like a broken record. Artificial intelligence does have the time and the means to do that. We should be letting systems ask those questions for us so that we can operate in this chaotic environment that I hope we're not gonna be in for much longer, but we probably will be for a little bit. And that's kind of sad. So on that note, <laughs> I do wanna end this conversation on a brighter one. So do you have any advice for other technology leaders and how can CISOs, CTOs, other leaders alike face the challenging and unpredictable times that might be happening in 2021? Yeah, I mean, other than the shameless plug of come find me on LinkedIn and let's have a discussion, um, I would say just visibility. You're adopting and bringing in all these new technologies and protocols and services and devices into your networks. And if you do not have near perfect visibility of it, um, just get ready. You know, it, it was okay maybe three or four years ago to say, well, I just can't see all those IoT devices, but, you know, it's a risk I'm willing to take. We don't have that luxury anymore. When we do start to go back to the office, there's going to be new things like FLIR cameras checking our temperature, you know, AI-based facial recognition, verifying we're staying six feet apart. There's going to be a whole new host of devices that we have to adopt. And if you don't have visibility into what they're doing, um, you know, both normal and abnormal, uh, you know, I think you're at a huge loss. So that would be my best advice. Get perfect visibility of the entire digital estate. And then again, come find me on LinkedIn and we'll talk all things AI. Yes. Go find Justin on LinkedIn and he'll have a conversation with you, but thank you, Justin. This was another great conversation. And I said it last time, but I'll say it again. I hope next time we talk, it'll be in person, but it seems kind of doubtful. So I'm, I'm hopeful it will be. <laughs> we'll get that shot in the arm and we'll be good to go. Hopefully, right? But I do hope to talk to you again. It has always been a pleasure talking to you. Excellent. Likewise. 
Don't forget to subscribe to Millennium Live, a Digital Diary podcast. All episodes are available on Digital Diary by going to mill-all.com.